Hi friends, my name is Nasra and welcome back to another episode on Unfiltered Noggin. On today's episode, I'll be covering the case of Jennifer Penn. You guys, this story is so wild to me. Jennifer Penn is a Canadian woman, Canadian Vietnamese woman born on June 17 of 1986. Jennifer's mother, Bic, and her father, Pan, or Han, I don't know how to explain it, like, not explain it, I don't know how to, like, pronounce Pan, like, her father's name, Um, but they both immigrated from Vietnam to Canada separately, of course, since they didn't know each other at the time. However, Pan and Bic somehow met in Toronto, Canada, and they started to get to know each other, and all, all of that. And they got married back in 1979. And Bic and Han, they had two children. They had a son named Felix, who was three years younger than his sister, Jennifer Pan, who is also known as the golden child of the family. And let me give you a rundown on who the Pan parents were. The Pan parents were Pan and Bic, and they were known to and referred to as tiger parents. And tiger parents is just a way to describe parents who are super duper strict. They're overbearing. They're frugal. They're con- they're, they're just overbearing. Like they're controlling parents. And I'm talking about they pressured the hell out of their kids in all ways to stay on top of their academics. And I mean that's a good thing, but you know there's there's a limit to everything. And you know, you got to fail in order to succeed. Nobody's perfect, perfect. But to Pan and Bic, their children had to be perfect. They were just monitoring and controlling every single part of their lives. And to Jennifer's parents, reputation was extremely important. How people view them, how people view their kids, it was just all important. Finally, in 2004, the parents were ready to settle down after they've been breaking their backs day and night working since they moved to Toronto, Canada. And it was just time for them to settle down and live a life without barely any stress and hardship. The parents had damn near saved every penny they worked for and they bought a large, beautiful house in a great suburban area with a two-car garage. Jennifer's father, Pan, was driving a Mercedes while her mother drove a Lexus. And the neighborhood that they bought the home in had a large population of Asians living there. So they felt at home. They felt comfortable. They felt like they were back in Vietnam. And you're probably thinking, well, they worked so hard and now the kids are probably happy that they're living in a beautiful home. They have nice cars. But that wasn't the case. Not everybody in the house was happy. The kids, especially Jennifer, she wasn't happy. Although Jennifer and Felix didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from, since Bic and Pan or Han worked so hard to provide opportunities they never had growing up, they sure did have high expectations for Jennifer and her brother Felix. And, I mean, they knew what type of grades they were looking for, consecutive A's, 
through high school, middle school, and college, university. All they wanted was just straight A's, nothing below that. And their kids didn't, couldn't even pick which career path they wanted. The parents would pick it. Bick and Han picked medical school. Like the kids, both of them had to go to medical school, school. And there was no ifs and buts. They had no choice. Jennifer, the golden kid, began playing piano at the age of four, and she was fantastic at it. She began playing ice skating when she was eight years old because her parents inspired her to be the Olympic, 2010 Olympic ice skater, in which she really enjoyed going to. Not only was she attending piano lessons and ice skating, but it was reported that her day-to-day schedule in high school and elementary was like okay I have to go to piano classes then I have to play and practice the flute for my band class come home eat study for hours until 1 a.m 2 a.m 3 a.m in the morning wake up the next day and repeat and I'm like holy cow but sadly she had to stop ice skating because she tore a ligament in her leg which was sad for her since she really enjoyed ice skating. Her parents kind of remind me of a polymath. A polymath, you know, is someone who expands their knowledge, but instead her her parents wanted Jennifer and Felix to expand their knowledge in many, many niches. Nevertheless, Jennifer had consecutive A's throughout elementary and middle school and Jennifer and Jennifer was expecting to get some sort of award on her eighth grade graduation but when none of that happened she really questioned what she was doing in life like why am I trying so hard to live up to my parents expectations and their standards when Whenever I succeed at something in life, they're never happy for me. They just want more, more, and more. High school and grade nine came along, and Jennifer attended Mary Ward Catholic School. The reason why she went to a Catholic school was because her dad was Catholic, and she really had no choice to go to a Catholic school and not a public school. In grade nine, Jennifer was known as this individual who can get along with anybody. She hung around with the populars, band members, and a slew of other groups. But of course, her parents had rules when it came to high school. For example, she wasn't allowed to go to prom dances. She wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend because there were distractions, and she would be distracted from her studies. She wasn't allowed to walk to school and back because her parents gave her a ride, and they didn't necessarily trust her I would say because maybe she would stop by at her friend's house before she went home and her mom and her her dad literally wanted her to go to school come home and study and and play her piano and her flute and that was it but when I look back when I was in high school it was nice taking walks or taking the bus home like but it was also nice getting rides and getting dropped off at school, and, and et cetera. It wasn't a problem. 
And Jennifer would later say, no matter how confident she looked deep down inside, she knew she wasn't happy with her life. She was tired of being her parents' little puppet, but she sucked it up and she put her happy mask on every single day. In elementary and middle school, we know Jennifer was on top of her grades. She was on top of her class. But when high school came, her grades took a tumble and she was always finding herself constantly within the average mark and to me that 70 to 80 percent isn't even bad but to her parents it was hell anything less than an a was totally unacceptable and because her grades kept dropping and she was failing many classes except for her music class she started forging report card documents and changing her average grade to all a's and a minuses so that her parents weren't skeptical. In grade 11, she met a guy named Daniel Wong, who later became her boyfriend. And this is beyond what her parents said. They said, you can't have a boyfriend, they're distraction. And what did she do? She has a boyfriend. She clearly doesn't care about her parents' rules. And Daniel Wong and Jennifer actually met in band class, which so happened to be the class where she would get straight A's in. And Daniel played the trumpet while Jennifer played the flute, as we know. There was this band trip to Europe that the music class was attending. And while Jennifer and Daniel were on the trip together, it was, excuse me, it was allegedly said that there was a group of people that were on the trip who were smoking and because of Jennifer having bad asthma she had a panic attack and she later said that Daniel Wong saved me to her parents so that maybe they would give an exception to Daniel Wong being her boyfriend. Besides forging the documents this is where things start to get out of hand. When Jennifer finished grade 11 and headed on to grade 12, during one of her semesters, she got an acceptance letter from Ryerson University in Toronto. However, when Jennifer got into 12th grade, she failed a math class. And this math class was very important. It was her only way that she could get into Ryerson University. She had to pass this particular math class for her to get into whatever program she was getting into. And since she failed her math class, she didn't graduate high school. And that's when Ryerson found out she failed her math class and drawn back their offer. Um, so Jennifer, of course, she was broken because how is she going to show her parents that she got early admission into Ryerson University? So what she did was she forged a fake acceptance letter to her parents to show her parents and basically told them, hey, I received an early admission into Ryerson. Yay, I'm so happy. And she even told her parents about how she graduated high school, which is a big lie because she's she didn't do none of this. None of this is happening. She's just straight up lying to her parents. But she needed to somehow cover her tracks and live up to her parents' standards. She would even go on the bus every single day and act like she was going to Ryerson University. She would even buy textbooks to make it look all real for her so-called classes she would she was taking. 
Um, she would buy school supplies. She would study for hours and hours and hours at the campus. But really, she would kick it with her friends and her boyfriend. Mind you, this wasn't just happening for months. This was happening for four years. Four years, she was taking the bus straight every single day, going to the campus back and forth. Pan wanted his daughter to go into medical school, school, but he soon changed his mind since Jennifer told him she didn't like blood spill at all. And when you're a doctor, you're going to see a lot of blood and she didn't like it. So he advised her to become a pharmacologist with no ifs or buts. It wasn't her choice. It was his choice. It, it is what it is. And Jennifer is like, you know what? I'm kind of enjoying the freedom of taking the bus to uh, Ryerson University, but it's just not enough freedom. You know, when, whenever you taste freedom, you can just never get enough. So she tells her mom, mom, dad, I'm so tired of taking a long commute. It's giving, a, it's giving me a headache. I do it every single day. Can I please stay with Topaz? She's, my fr she's a friend of mine. She lives close by to the university. It would just be much easier, and therefore, I can focus more on my studies. So her parents say, yes, so yes, of course, go ahead, as long as it will help you with your studies and make you focus more. But she wasn't really going to Topaz's house. She was actually staying with her boyfriend, Daniel Wong, the whole, the entire time. Four years go by, and it was time for Jennifer to graduate from the University of Toronto. And... Pan and Bick, they wanted to come see their daughter graduate at the University of Toronto. They wanted to see her grad uniform and whatnot until Jennifer actually told them that she sold her tickets away because there wasn't enough tickets or seats to allow her parents to come. And she didn't want to just go to graduation by herself with her parents not clapping for her. At the end of the, at the, end of the day, like I can't talk today. At the end of the day, they never really went to her complication. Since Jennifer was staying at Topaz when she was really staying at Daniel's house, she asked her parents if she can stay on weekdays and weekends with Topaz since she wanted to volunteer at a lab called Sick Kids and which was at this local hospital near the university. And Sick Kids was basically a blood testing lab where patients can get blood drawn from them at the hospital. And because it made it was a good choice for Jennifer since she was in the medical medical industry, she wanted to get as much experience as she can for her resume to make her look good. However, one day when Jennifer came home, her parents were hella skeptical as to where, where's your uniform? Like, where's your access key? Where's your photo ID card? Like, even if you're a volunteer or a med student or a nurse at the hospital, you would still have an access card. You, you have to have an access photo ID card and a uniform. You can't just go around wearing casual clothing. You're not a, you're not a patient that's coming in and out of a hospital. You're working in a lab, you have to wear the proper clothing, you have to follow protocol. And because she didn't have any of, 
she wasn't wearing her the clothes that she's supposed to be wearing. Pan and Bic told Jennifer, don't worry about commuting to the hospital tomorrow. We'll drive you there. And at this point, Jennifer was pissing her pants. Next day comes around. They get into the car. They drive to the hospital. And as soon as Pan pulled into the parking lot, Jennifer opened the door and she booked it into the hospital. Like she was shook. So she hid in the emergency room somewhere, somewhere where like her parents can't see her and they can't enter. With Pan and Bic on her tip, on her tail, they they enter the building, the hospital, and they're just waiting to see their daughter, hoping to see that her daughter, their daughter come out in uniform and a photo ID. But as time went by and they were just sitting in the waiting room and they didn't see their daughter come out, they just they dipped. Finally Jennifer came out of hiding and she spent the next like few hours uh her uh daniel crib later that night when jennifer came home her parents knew what's up automatically they knew she was lying to them they knew that she did not work at sick kids and they knew that she was not staying at topaz because when pan and Bic got home they called topaz up and asked her if is my daughter staying with you? She said she was staying with you. Is she staying with you? And when Topaz said no, they knew it had to be Danielle. She was staying with Danielle. It just had to be Danielle. Since she was obsessed with him and she loved him, it just had to be Danielle. With all this news, they really put her, put their foot down on her, made her quit her job at Boston Pizza that Danielle helped her get. They took away her phone, her laptop, so that she had no way to contact Danielle or like call him or email him. And Jennifer was living a miserable life ever since her secret has been exposed. All the lies were coming to light. The clouds were starting to clear up for Bic and Pan. And again, her parents told her, you know, you have two options. Either you can get out my house, get out of my house, or apply to medical school again. And Pan, Jennifer's father, also said that the only way you will see Danielle is if I'm dead. And if I'm not dead, you're not seeing him. It is what it is. And Jennifer was angry. I mean, she loved Daniel with her heart. It was just that it was the feeling that someone you love being ripped apart from you broke her. But Jennifer wasn't the only one who was tired. Danielle was tired of her excuses and her parents' excuses for Jennifer not to visit him. So Danielle ended up breaking things with Jennifer, which added on to her pain and her anger. In spring of 2010, Jennifer ended up reconnecting with a guy from her childhood named Andrew. And Andrew was the type of guy to brag about things that he allegedly did. He would tell Jennifer how he got away with killing his his, his friend, his cousin, or his father, yada, yada, yada. And Jennifer would tell him about how much she hated Pan, her father, and how much pain she he put her through. So Andrew tells Jennifer, look. I know this guy named Ricardo Duncan, and 
you can tell your dad for you in his place of work. Just pay him $1,500. That's it. And according to Jennifer, she ended up giving Duncan the $1,500 from her piano lessons and her flute lessons. And she basically told him, do, kill him, get rid of the body, do what you got to do. There, I gave you the money. Get like, kill him. Do, do your job. However, Duncan ended up finessing her and he just, he dipped and he did not follow through with the plan. Fast forward a little bit, Daniel and Jennifer ended up getting back together, which has given me this on and off relationship vibes. And Jennifer was like, Daniel, if my parents die, look at the bright side. Um, where I'm going to get this large inheritance. We can drive off in a Mercedes or a Lexus and live our best life with no rules. Do you not want that? And Daniel was like, yeah, of course I want that. It's looking real good for me. So Jennifer and Daniel hired a hitman to kill both of her parents and not just Pan. Well, in order to follow up with the plan, Daniel gave Jennifer a burner phone where she can talk about their illegal business. Plus, it was just hard to trace a burner phone since it isn't just registered to one user. Whereas an iPhone will not allow you to remain off the grid. So Daniel ended up giving Jennifer this burner phone. Boom. Daniel then calls up one of his allies named Leonard. And Leonard said that normally he charges 20 grand for this type of hit. However, Daniel was a good friend of Leonard. So Leonard said, I'll give you guys the friend discount, which will only cost you 10 grand for me to kill your parents. And Jennifer had no problem with it at all. Matter of fact, it was it was a whole 10 grand off of the 20 grand. They only had to pay 10 grand. Only 10 grand to get rid of her parents. She was down with it. She just wanted this thing to get, she just wanted to get it over with. So the three of them decide November 8th is going to be the day her parents are brutally murdered. But Leonard couldn't do this on his own. Matter of fact, he told Daniel and Jennifer that two of my friends named Eric and David will be joining to help me out. When November 8th came along, Jennifer was chilling in her bedroom while her dad, Pan, was downstairs doing you know, whatever he was doing. Felix wasn't at home at the time. However, her mom, Bic, was out line dancing. I don't know what line dancing is, but she was out doing some sort of dancing. And eventually, around 8, 10, 8, 20 p.m., Pan had gone to bed. And Bic came home around like 9.30, 9.35 p.m.-ish from line dancing. She went upstairs, she took a shower, she got into her sleepwear, and she went and headed down to the living room to watch TV. It was a long night. Oh, she just wanted to rest. No problem. It was around 9.40 p.m., 9.45, when one of the men contacted Jennifer on the phone for a few minutes and then hung up. They are probably talking about the plan and how Jennifer is going to signal them. Around this time, Jennifer walks downstairs to say goodnight to her mother and then tippy-toes her way to the front door to unlock it for Leonard, Eric, and David. 
Then she just casually walks upstairs. When she got to her bedroom, the light was off. And in order for her to signal the guys, this is what she does. She turns her bedroom light switch on and off a few times to signal the intruders to enter that crib, like to make their move. This was their make a move signal. And when Leonard, David, and Eric walked into the Pan family's home, one of them immediately ran upstairs to get Jennifer. And according to Jennifer, one of the random guys that she never met or heard of in her life, allegedly, made her come downstairs and get any type of money that was in the house. So she handed them 2500 and another 1100 bucks from her dad's, her parents' room, nightstand. After this, Jennifer told police that they led her back upstairs and they tied her to a banister. A banister. They tied her to a banister. And after Jennifer had returned to her room, another intruder came and got Pan and brought him downstairs since Bick was already in the living room watching TV. And as soon as Bick and Pan was all in one area together, the intruders brought them down to the basement and placed a hooding over their head, like execution style. And, and it was right there and then Bick and Pan were begging for their life until they were shot three times each and Bick died immediately. She took three shots to the head. Yeah sad. While Bick was attached to the banister, as she said, she had a burner phone in her pocket, the one Daniel gave her for illegal business, and she called the 911 as soon as she heard loud pops going throughout the house. During the call with the 911 operator, Jennifer sounded like she was like she was just hysterically crying and explaining what happened and how she heard this loud pop going off and she doesn't know if her parents are dead or alive. And I was listening to the call and in the background, you can actually hear Pan screaming and Jennifer heard this and she, she started to get shook because her dad was supposed to die. He was not supposed to live. And Pan actually managed to crawl upstairs to the main floor and as soon as he managed to get up like stand up he ran outside the house frantically screaming and this is where one of his neighbors saw him screaming and they immediately called 911 the police and the police firefighters and ambulance showed up cuz you know they come in threes and they took Han straight to the closest hospital where he then fell into a coma. That same night, the police, the York police interviewed Jennifer and she basically told them that uh, there was three men who broke into the house. I don't know how they got in, but they did. They took me downstairs to get money and whatnot. And she just told them the rest of what she's seen happen. However, the York police were still skeptical. So they called Jennifer back in to back into the station to describe how she was able to call 911 so easily and what the officer ended up doing was giving her a phone to put in her back pocket where her burner phone was 
so that she could show how she managed to call 911. And when she did that, they were just, they were still skeptical over the situation. So they asked her, did they not steal anything else besides the money? And Jennifer said no. And they're like, that's odd because your mom's Lexus was in the garage and the key was in the house. Why didn't they steal something so valuable like a car? It wasn't just, it wasn't adding up for them. So they kept asking more and more questions and they continued asking her as to like questions as to why she didn't get harmed at all. I mean, she was a witness and wouldn't a criminal in their right mind kill a witness to leave no evidence behind? It was just off to the York police. On November 12, three days after the incident, Han actually woke up from his coma, thank the Lord, and he recalled every single thing. He said that while the men were in the house that night, he remembered Jennifer talking to one of the intruders like they were best friends, like they knew each other. And he also said that her arms were never tied to a banister, like she's, she's straight up lying to your face. So obviously this was new information to the York police and it was different from what Jennifer has said. So they decided to bring Jennifer into the station for a third time. Eventually Jennifer, during this time, she endured uh, a long nine hour in, uh, interrogation where she finally broke down and said everything she told the police was a lie and she was the one who wanted to be killed and not like her parents. She basically said, I wanted to die. I'm so tired of my parents' expectations. I couldn't do it anymore. And it was the hitman's fault slash burglar, not my fault that her parents, my parents died. It was the burglar slash hitman's fault. They messed up and they killed my parents instead. So the police ended up arresting Jennifer on the spot and basically told her, we knew you, you know, like we had the evidence, you did it. Just, there's no need for you to lie and tell us like in those other two times that you came to the interrogation room, there was just no need for you to lie. Like you did it, we know you did it. While the police were arresting Jennifer, they found out who the other three intruders were and they arrested not only Jennifer, they arrested Daniel Wong, Leonard, Eric, and David with the same charges, and they all got life in prison with the chance of parole. And Jennifer will be, is actually up for parole in 2039, where she will then be 49 years old. Wow, time flies, like, wow. Final thought. So what was so devastating to me was the fact that her parents were begging the intruders to not hurt their daughter, Jennifer, in any way, which is sad because in reality, this was all Jennifer's fault. She planned it and she went along with the plan knowing that her parents were going to get brutally murdered. And it was sad because she said goodnight to her parents, unlocked the door, and went upstairs like, like, 
like she wasn't a part of this plan. It was just sad that her parents were begging, please, please, please don't hurt my daughter. They were even thinking for them. They were thinking for their daughter. It's just sad. However, her dad's life is ruined. You know, he, Pan even said his dad, like, Pan even said his life is ruined. You know, imagine, just imagine the trust issue he's facing, especially since this all came, the hardship came from his daughter. Do I think the parents were way too controlling? Yes, but there was always another way she could have went about the situation. It didn't have to be murder. She was an adult. Why didn't she get a job? Save up, move out, leave then. Why did it have to be murder? Why was murder her only option? She could have went many ways about this. Another thing that pissed me off while Jennifer was in the nine-hour interrogation was the fact that she kept asking the the detectives or officers that were that was speaking to her what was going to happen to her if she was arrested, where would she be placed, which is crazy to me. Like, girl, you just planned to get your parents murdered. Your mother, Bick, was brutally murdered three times, shot in the face. She died while your father suffered from suffering from life-threatening injuries and you're asking what's going to happen jail duh this case was just mind-boggling to me i don't know i just feel for both sides kind of um i'd love to hear what you guys think and yeah that sums up the case of jennifer penn if you guys love episodes like this make sure you follow and see you guys in the next episode bye